Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10? We're between Romans 12 and Romans 13. Next Sunday, we're going to have a baptismal service. We'll be a few miles north of town. When you see the DeLong sign, you will be at church next Sunday. So the plan is to have find some shade maybe and have Sunday school outdoors. Um, the rest of the service will be wrapped around those who are going to be baptized that Sunday. So um, I'll be sending out information throughout the week to, to be more precise. Um, we're going to ask that everyone be involved in the service as far as preparing and bringing things and, and having much more of a Acts chapter 2 type of service, um, just, just enjoying the outdoors and the fellowship that we have. And if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, if He is your Lord, if you would choose to be baptized, um, contact me between now and then. Um, I'll be sending out information relating to that as well, um, and we will fill in some blanks. It's been a busy week, so I would like to have been more prepared um, for this Sunday and last Sunday. We left the chairs up from yesterday. It's a little different feel. I see people still in church gravitate towards back rows, but... Um, um, the idea was that there was about 200 people in this building yesterday to honor the life of Jose Perez. Um, and the empty chairs show us that we have work to do in Mendota, Illinois. And the message will deal specifically with that. When we get into Romans 13, we're going to address the world from the church, government from the church, and those things. Today we are going to look at the gospel. We're going to look at a familiar parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan, we don't know if in timing, if what Jesus says before, we're going to begin in verse 1 when Jesus sends out the 72, was immediately followed by the Good Samaritan. What my point is that the Gospels were put together in some places to be sequenced, in some places to say, okay, here's what Jesus did, and this goes with that. So we're going to look at a question when we get to the parable of the Good Samaritan, a legal expert in the law, the Judeo law, um, asks a question that is the most common question that we get when we talk about Christ and we talk about a Savior. And we're going to look at what Jesus' answer is. So we begin in chapter 10, and let's pray before we begin, actually. Heavenly Father, as we see Jesus send people into the world, that they might know him. Um, these verses send us today into the world for that purpose. As we see this legal question come up today that is so common, we see Jesus' answer today to that question. Help us to learn from it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus is about to send out 72 disciples. Um, we learn practical lessons. The number for witness in the Bible is two. We see that way back in Moses' writing and throughout the scriptures. There's a practical reason for that. <clears throat> I will be more faithful if one of you is walking with me, and you will be more faithful if I am walking with you. Um, Christians aren't to go out into the world on their own. We don't do so well in doing that. So we do things as a body for a reason. As an assembly for a reason, that's where God becomes fully known to the world is through a body of believers. When we go out, if we go out in twos, we are more effective at telling the truth. Let's begin in 
chapter 10. We're going to cover a lot of verses today, but we're going to zero in on a question that comes up in the middle of this chapter. Luke 10, verse 1. After this, the, the Lord had appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So much like John the Baptist, he's sending them out to teach people to repent and to follow Christ. He told them, verse 2, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And then he tells them a prayer. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest. Go, he says, exclamation mark. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. They're on a mission. They're heading to towns. They're not to be sidetracked. They're not to go off course. They're going to towns to give the message of the gospel to people before Jesus comes in behind them to give the message of the gospel to people. And he is telling them to go specifically to their mission. In the gospel of Luke, we hear statements that we're familiar with. In Luke 4, 43, Jesus is preaching the gospel in a town. He tries to get off by himself to pray to his father. People find him and they say, stay here, stay with us. And Jesus says, no, I've got to go to the next town, Luke 4.43. And I need to preach the good news to them because that is why I was sent. In Luke 19, we, we see a familiar statement. Zacchaeus comes to Jesus, realizes that he needs to repent. He repents and says, I'm going to give people twice as much as I took from them. And anyone that I owe, I will give them four times as much. He repents, he gives his life to Christ. And Jesus responds to the crowd who doesn't understand why he's fixed on Zacchaeus. And he says, this is what I'm called to do for the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. That's where that statement comes from. Here he's sending out 72 disciples that he's been training. Luke 6.40 says that a student is not above the teacher, but when he's fully trained, he'll be like his teacher. So like our teacher... We are sent out to seek and save the lost. Like our teacher, um, we are to go outside these doors and bring the gospel to people because that is why we are here. That is what we are sent to do. We're in here to be prepared to go out there. If we grow effectively in here, we'll become like our teacher and that will motivate us to share the gospel with the lost. Verse 5. Verse yeah, verse 5. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. This is an interesting language here. Jesus says, when you come into a town, go to a home, bring the gospel to them, say, peace be with you. If that response is, yes, come in, I receive you, I want to hear what you have to say, then, then he says, don't leave, stay there, share the gospel with them. We've got a proof text within this. Luke is very intentional. Luke is writing this around 
60 AD. And how do we even know that? Because a couple of years later in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 18, what we just read in verse 7 where Luke says, a worker deserves his wages. That's the only time that's written in Scripture. And Paul says in 1 Timothy 5.18, as it says in the Scriptures, the worker deserves his wages. Paul is telling us, and so is Luke, that this is Scripture and that it was written before Paul wrote 1 Timothy. So those kind of things Luke continuously does, and he says, if your peace is accepted, then stay there. Share the gospel before you move on to the next town. Conversely, if it's not accepted, verse 8, when you enter a town and are welcome, eat what is offered you, heal the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. So wherever John the Baptist went, wherever Jesus went, they would say the kingdom of God is near. Jesus tells Nicodemus in John 3 that unless a person is born again, they cannot enter the kingdom of God. Their message is, we're telling you about Jesus, the King, the Messiah, and we're telling you that the kingdom of God is coming near you. It's being offered to you. It's from Christ to you, from the King to you. So as we read on, Verse 10, but when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you, yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near you. I tell you, it will be more bearable for, on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you, he tells his disciples, listens to me whoever rejects you rejects me but whoever rejects me rejects the one who has sent me we are not god we're not the holy spirit we don't do his work we are his ambassadors jesus says if you come to a home and say peace be with you i bring the kingdom of heaven near you and you're welcomed go in share the gospel introduce them to jesus christ he who has ears to hear and welcomes you in their home. If you come to a town or a home and they reject, I, re I hear your offer, I hear what you're saying, I reject it, then they would literally, Paul would shake out his clothes, they would literally kick the dust off of their feet to say the kingdom was here and you rejected it. So he lists three towns here, um, Chorazin and Bethsaida, we're up at the north end of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus was at the northwest side of Galilee in Nazareth. And he preached in Chorazin. He preached in Bethsaida. He did many miracles there. And as a town, they didn't want him. We don't really want you here. 
most of Jesus' ministry was spent in Galilee, and these are three towns in Galilee, and they didn't want Jesus. And Jesus says, unfortunately, that it will be more bearable for Sodom than it will be for you. Because Sodom wasn't preached the gospel. Lot was to have done that, but he didn't. So Jesus says that when it comes to Hades and ultimately hell, the places that heard the gospel that rejected it will be the most severely punished. And then he says, what about you, Capernaum? Capernaum was really Jesus' adopted hometown. So when his ministry began and he left Nazareth as a 30-year-old man, his hometown became Capernaum. And he did a lot of miracles there. And they didn't accept him. And he said it will be more bearable in those days for Tyre and Sidon. Tyre is, is the, the king of Tyre in the Bible is Satan. And Sidon is the god of the Sidonians, is the god that they burn their babies and offering sacrifices to. But Jesus is saying here, because you heard the gospel and you rejected it, you will be punished more than they will. So let's turn to Luke chapter 12. We make this point often that, that when we share the gospel with a person and they're open to it, will share as much as they are willing to believe that if you're willing to repent and make Jesus Christ your Lord, then he will give all of his kingdom to you and share it with you. You, you can know for sure that you'll be in heaven one day. And all the riches in the heavenly realms, Paul says, become yours. That is God's choice. But when you say no to God, that is, as he is telling us in Luke 10, the most severely punished place to be in hell. So in Luke chapter 12, we see this principle taught again, verse 43. He says, but suppose the servant says to himself, he's giving us a picture of religion here. My master has been taking a long time in coming, and he begins to beat his other servants both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master, and this is Kyrios, the master of that servant will come on a day that he does not expect him and in an hour he is not aware of, and he will cut him into pieces and assign him to the place of the unbelievers. That servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants, will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving of punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So there is the reality that every person on earth needs to hear the gospel. There is the reality when we share it with people that it shouldn't be casual. It should be in love, it should be in gentleness, and it should be in respect, but it shouldn't be casual. Because the reality Jesus is teaching us in Luke 10 and in Luke 12, that once they hear it, if they don't accept it, they will be the most severely punished people in hell. So, when we share the gospel with people, they need to know that the creator of the universe died on a cross for their sins. 
that whatever they choose to do, he will love them, that he did everything that he could for them to receive everything that he has. But if they reject it, the Father will punish them severely. So when we share the gospel with people, we want them to know the truth, we want them to know about grace, and we want them to know about love. But what has happened in the church in the United States is no one talks about hell. No one talks about judgment. No one talks about the reality is that there aren't three choices. There isn't, yes, Jesus, I'll follow you. No, Jesus, I won't, and let me think about it. There are only two choices, yes and no. And if you hear it, Jesus says, as we go back to Luke 10, you need to respond. My Father loves you. I love you. The Holy Spirit loves you. Please don't reject this offer. Bethsaida, Chorazin, and Capernaum will be judged severely because they heard it, they knew it was true, and they rejected it. Verse 17 of chapter 10, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He responded, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. They didn't understand the full authority of Jesus Christ. When he sent them out on this mission, he gave them his authority to go out. So Jesus, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, is sovereign over everything. Every government leader, every country, every person, every nation, every demon, Satan, Christ. He gives them that authority. And they, these men, for the first time, were going out and saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out. And the demons were coming out, and they're coming back saying, we are shocked, we're amazed, we're overjoyed that, that when we share the gospel with people, demons flee. And Jesus says something here that he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. We're not going to talk about creation today, but in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Between Genesis 1.1 and Genesis 1.2, Satan was cast out of heaven. So we see in Genesis 1.2 that darkness covered the surface of the earth. God is what? God is light. Light doesn't, or darkness cannot exist in God's creation until sin happens. So in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, we see the description of Satan being cast out of heaven because he said, it's not good enough to be the most glorious angel in heaven. I want to be like God. So I said his name wrong there. He was created Lucifer. He was created beautiful. He was created musical. He was created the highest of the angels. And he said, that's not good enough. I want to be like God. So he goes from Lucifer, who God created, to Satan, who took his path, his choice. And Jesus, in response to them saying, the demons listen to us when we talk about you. He's saying, I'm the one who cast them down. Of course they do. So if I asked you, um, who is the rival of Jesus, the answer is no one, no thing, nowhere. Satan is not his rival. He created Lucifer. Lucifer sinned. He cast him down. He's trying 
to get his disciples to understand, I know you fear demons, I know you think about Satan, but you know, need to know who I am and my authority over them. So he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Verse 19, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. They're talking about, as human beings, we're drawn to power and supernatural, and wouldn't it be cool if I could do this? And they're saying, wow, we cast out demons. And he's saying, there's something much bigger than that. Your names are written in the book of life. You're going to be in heaven with me someday. What happened to Jose going from earth to heaven is far greater than casting out demons on earth. And he's trying to help them to understand the gospel. So in John 17, 3, Jesus is praying to his father before he is arrested. And he says, Father, this is eternal life, that they know you, Father, the only true God, and that they know Jesus Christ, the one you have sent. That's eternal life. God the Father, Jesus Christ, I know the Father, I know the Son, I follow the Son. Jesus says, Whatever else you think about, there is nothing greater than your names being written in heaven. Verse 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, he is experiencing being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is God and God, Almighty Jesus Christ, Almighty Holy Spirit, but God, Jesus Christ, told to be chose to be 100% man, even while he was 100% God. So that Hebrews chapter 2 and Hebrews chapter 4 tell us that whatever you suffer, whatever pain you feel, however much you are hurt, however painful anything can happen, I walked it first. Not just I'm God, I can help you, but I'm God, I've been there. That's the difference between God the Father and God the Son is their experience. They're both almighty. They're both omnipresent. They both know everything. They both have all power. But Jesus chose to walk as a human being. And human beings who follow Christ don't do anything good without the power of the Holy Spirit. And neither did Jesus choose to. So Jesus is training these men. They're beginning to understand who he is, and he is filled with joy that the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace. He is feeling those things the way that we would feel them. Verse 21, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. So he's talking about us earlier going into towns where they'll listen, going into towns where they won't listen. And if they won't listen, heaven won't be revealed to them. Eternity won't be revealed to them. But if they do listen, they listen like children. I want to hear more. I want to follow you. And he's overjoyed that this is happening. Verse um, in 
verse 24. Actually, let's, let's see, verse 21, let me read that again. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. He stops in the middle of this and prays. Because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son. No one knows who the Son is except the Father. And no one knows who the Father is except the Son. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. He is explaining, he is opening up, he is showing them the kingdom of heaven. He is explaining to him that he's the king, he's the one with all authority. He is the supreme sovereign Lord over everything. And the disciples are just now starting to understand what he is saying to them. And he says, no one really knows who I am except my father. And no one really knows who my father is except me and those he chooses to reveal me to. So the person who welcomes in peace the message of the gospel, the person who has ears to hear, God will unveil his truth to them. The person who says, no, I want to run my own life, I don't need Jesus, will be the most severely punished people because of what they rejected. In John chapter 15, he is saying the same thing. He says to his disciples there, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends for everything I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. What Isaiah and Daniel and all the prophets wanted to know, I'm giving you right here. He says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and I pointed you that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. He's explaining to his disciples here and in John 15 that if you really follow me, I will unveil the kingdom of heaven to you. I will share my power, my authority, my kingdom, my father, and my spirit with you. The disciples are just probably struck in awe at this time. They are understanding, they are listening Jesus is filled with joy and an expert of the law steps forward. Verse 25. This is a person who knows what has been written to this point. He knows everything Moses wrote. He knows the prophets, what they prophesied, that the Messiah would come. And he is asking a question in his way that most everyone you will introduce to Jesus will ask you. Verse 25, on one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Both ends of this question are wrong. First, 
What must I do? Nothing. Second of all, he's not asking for a kingdom. He's not asking for a master. He's asking for fire insurance. He's saying, I'll take my share of the kingdom, please. Just tell me what I have to do. One of the, the verses on the floor in there as I was walking around with Jason this morning, Romans 11, 6, 11, 6 And if it's by grace, then it is no longer by works. For if it were, it would no longer be grace. This expert in the law doesn't want grace. He wants inheritance. He wants heaven. And he wants it on his terms. Most people that we go to will ask you a question similarly to that question. The flaw in the question comes in many, many ways. First of all, the wrong question is, what must I do to inherit, or what do I have to do to inherit? The right question is, what can I do to serve you? The turning point in a person's life to follow Christ is when they graduate from, what do I have to do? To what can I do? The jailer was asking Paul, what can I do to have what you have? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he said. This expert in the law doesn't have ears to hear because shortly before this, Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. And he said, love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. Jesus now looks inside the soul of this individual. And the commentary goes on, verse 26. Jesus says to him, okay, what must you do to inherit eternal life? You're an expert in the law, so let's start with the law. What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor at your, as yourself. Verse 28, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. This is the gospel. This isn't pray a prayer. This isn't I'll go to church. This is a literal question with literal truth that the person asking, being asked, is asked by Jesus, how do you read the law? How do you understand the law? As an expert in the law, he has already been trained to know that the two primary commands are love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second command is love your neighbor as yourself. So he says, do this and you will live. Is that a true statement? Yes, it is. If a person loves God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they love their neighbor as their self, they will have eternal life. The question is, since he answered the questions right, is he going to heaven? No. 
Jesus is looking in his soul. He knows how he is, who he is, and what is true about him. He knows that he knows the lingo. Love God, love people. And Jesus also knows he hasn't done this. First of all, question. Can you love God if you're not born again? No. Because 1 John 4 says we love because he first loved us. Perfect love drives out fear. We have confidence because we've received his love. So the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace. So we start with love. Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit here. If I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I can love for the first time. I can have affection. I can lust. I can love you like a brother, but I can't love you like God loves until I'm born again. I can't love people until I'm born again. So he is saying, if you do love God with all your heart, and you do love people as yourself. Galatians 5.14, the entire law of the entire book of the Bible, Paul says, comes into one single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Every person who loves their neighbor as their self will be in heaven forever. How can I love my neighbor as myself? I have to receive the love first. Agape love, loving another person with no restraint, nothing has to come back to me, no conditions, I just love you, truth and love, cannot happen from me. It can only happen through me. God's love can come by the Holy Spirit through me to another person. It will never start with me, but it can go through me. So this expert in the law is trying to ask legal questions as to how I get to heaven. Jesus tells him that legally you love people and you love God with all your heart, but he doesn't understand that it is only through Jesus being king that that can happen. Reading on verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself so he asked, who is my neighbor? We have to understand what Jesus is taking this man through because almost every person we will meet will have these two questions. Question number one, what do I have to do? Question number two, am I not good enough already? It's not about being good enough. This expert doesn't know that. Your neighbor doesn't know that. I'm a pretty good person. I go to church. I do good things for good people. Jesus is explaining to this individual, and this individual is trying to limit the command. Love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus says. He says, who's my neighbor? Give me a list. Which ones do I have to love? And again, just a few days before this, he said, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Love everyone, Jesus says. This person is saying, don't I no love enough people already? So verse 29, he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, 
and who is my neighbor? And out of this is the parable that we are familiar with, but we have to understand the context of the Good Samaritan. What is happening in, in the Good Samaritan is a picture of salvation. It's not just a picture of doing the right thing when a person is down. He is explaining to an expert in the law who wants to be legally into the kingdom of heaven. And he's explaining to him in this parable. The question from this individual is, who's my neighbor? How many people do I have to love? What do I have to do? Same thing he asked in verse 25. Verse 30 in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jeru Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side of the road. So first of all, a person he can immediately relate to is a religious person that is a priest in Judaism. And this person is on his journey from Jericho to Jerusalem, and he sees this abducted, beaten, robbed individual on the side of the road, and he's got work to do and more important things, so he crosses to the other side of the road, raises his head, and continues on his way. This is a story that Jesus is telling to explain salvation and love, what it means to love God, what it means to love your neighbor, what it means to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So we pick up this story in verse 32. So to a Levite, this would have been a Levite that he is talking to. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him passed on the other side, he's probably uncomfortable now. Because he may well be a priest, he is certainly a Levite, and he says a Levite comes and he sees this abducted, beaten, robbed man, and he goes to the other side of the road as if to not see him, lifts his head and goes on his way. I've got important things to do, I've got things for God to do, so you will have to find help in another way. Reading on, verse 33 but a Samaritan, and this would have punched him right in the stomach. Rest assured that this individual would have hated Samaritans. They are the lowest human beings on earth to a legalistic Jew. Because when the northern kingdom went into captivity, Assyria forced Jews to intermarry with Gentiles. And they did that in the area of Samaria, the northern kingdom, so they were half-breeds according to Jews. They were detestable according to Jews. Jesus went up into Samaria on intentionally to meet the woman at the well, and when the gospel reached the Samaritans, it exploded. We had no idea that God was still interested in us because the Jews all hate us. Jesus went through Samaria another time with James and John, the James that I'm named after and the John that my brother is named after, and they started to go through Samaria, and John says, loving John, should we call down fire from heaven to burn these people? John would later 
share the gospel with people like these people. But at that time, John is giving us insight to Judaism. It was a requirement, essentially, in the Judeo law to hate Samaritans. And he says in this parable to this legal expert in the law, he says this man needs help. The priest avoided him. The Levite avoided him. But there was a Samaritan, Jesus says, Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and he saw him. He took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and I will return. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you have. This is a story that Jesus is telling, but he's answering his question from the beginning: What must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, "Well." I know the law, love God, love your neighbor. Knowing the law doesn't save you. Knowing Jesus' offer doesn't save you. If you are saved, you're saved, as the title of my message is, loving God back. So we read verses in the Bible that are encouraging. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He is separating people here. He is using what is the dark side to a Jew, a Samaritan person, he's going to Jericho, he's going about 17 miles, he's painting a perfect story, it takes a day to get from Jerusalem to Jericho, he's going to Jericho, he finds this man, he stops his entire day, he helps him, he helps his wounds, puts him on his donkey, turns around and goes back to Jerusalem, losing all of his business travels for the day, saying, now I'm going to go there, and when I come back, I will pay for anything that he costs you to take care of him while I'm gone. He's demonstrating in this parable what agape love is. Agape love is Romans 12 and verse 10. Be devoted to one another in love and honor one another above yourselves. His plans go to Jericho. Plans put on hold help a person who needs help. The expert of the law asked him, who is my neighbor? He would have never included a Samaritan in that question. Um, turn to Romans chapter 9 for just a second. As Paul speaks to people like this expert in the law that Jesus is talking to, Romans chapter 9 Remember at the beginning of Romans 9, Paul says, Romans 9 and verse 1, I speak the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I 
wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. So this chapter begins, Paul says, I love my people so much. They're rejecting Christ. If they would just accept him, I would go to hell. I would give up my salvation. That's how desperately he wants Jews to follow Christ. What's happened with the Jews then? Verse 30 of chapter 9. What then shall we say that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith? But the people of Israel who pursued the law as a way of righteousness, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? I am familiar with the law. I know what it says. But the law is never a way of salvation. It's a way to the Savior. So the law says to Jim McDowell, you're guilty. You've sinned. The wages of sin is death. The law cannot save you. Paul tells us that 100% of the time, people who try to be good enough to get to heaven end up in hell. But the law is intended to say, you need a Savior. To the Jews, it said, that's all we need. To the Gentiles, without the law, they understood that they needed a Savior. Verse 31, but the people of Israel pursued the law as a way of righteousness. The, the expert in the law asking Jesus, what do I have to do? Because I'm pretty sure I've already done it. They have not attained their goal. Verse 32, why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him, the rock, the stone, is Jesus. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. The Jews saw the law as their way to heaven. Moses wrote the law as a way to Christ and that Christ is the only way to heaven, that he is the gate to heaven. So as we go back to Luke chapter 10, he first asked the question, what must I do or what can I do? Wrong question. To inherit eternal life, to have my inheritance, he's He's very much fitting into the, the parable of the prodigal son, which is also in the Gospel of Luke. Verse 36, Jesus asks this expert in the law, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. So Jesus has given him three answers from a legal perspective. If you want, because we do have a legal obligation to repent and turn to Christ, he says to him, first of all, if you love God with all your heart and you love your neighbor as yourself and you do this, you will live. And then he says at the end here, he says, which one, how hard would it have been to ask, to answer this question to a Jew who is a legal expert? He hates Samaritans. 
He loves the priesthood. He is a Levite. And he has to tell Jesus that the one who loved this person was the Samaritan. I don't know where the, this expert in the law went from here, but Jesus says, until you love like that, you have no inheritance. Jesus explained in the Sermon on the Mount just days before this that this is how you follow me. You're merciful. You're a peacemaker. You love your neighbor as yourself. You love God with all your heart. You mourn with those who mourn and you rejoice with those who rejoice. The story of the Bible is a love story. We are not capable of loving like Christ loves until we have his love to begin with. Once Christ is in our life, we're still fallen, we're still capable of sin, but it's now possible for me to love my neighbor as myself. That's what he was trying to explain to an expert in the law. We need to be prepared for these questions because people will say, I think I'm good enough to go to heaven. I think that I've done enough in church that God will let me go to heaven. Jesus says, unless you follow me, you have no part in my kingdom. Unless you truly love your neighbor as yourself and love God, you have no part in my kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the, the offer is not complicated. Following Jesus Christ is the only way a person in this world can have hope. But the hope that comes in doing so is so rich, so amazing, so awesome that we can know for sure that God will go with us everywhere we go now and that someday we will be in his presence. Help us to love God by loving each other in Jesus' name. Amen.